0: Hi guys, welcome back to Making a Dietitian. I am your host, Cassie Blantford, and today we are going to be covering another introductory topic into pathophysiology. We are going to be covering inflammation, infection, and immunity. These all kind of go together. I mean, they can all affect each other, obviously, and we'll get kind of more into that. But again, this is just kind of like a really good introduction to things that are necessary to know whenever you're talking about more specific conditions that have to do with pathophysiology and things that you're going to learn throughout your undergrad and obviously graduate school. So um, first, I'm going to review the body's defenses. Um, So you have your first defense is going to be like a mechanical barrier, such as skin or your mucous membrane, so that outside pathogens are not able to get into the body and wreak havoc. You know, your whole your skin is an organ, and its whole point is to be a barrier from the outside world. Um, it's going to protect you from, you know, if you just touch something that's been contaminated, it can't, you know, nothing can get in because your skin's there. Um, your second barrier is going to be your immune system, but it's just going to be kind of like those white blood cells, so your neutrophils and your macrophages. These are going to absorb pathogens throughout the body. Inflammation is also going to be part of the second line of defense as it's meant to limit the effects of injury or pathogens. Then finally, we have the third line of defense and this is going to include specific defenses such as antibodies that are made by the body to fight specific viruses and bacteria. I feel like this is probably really fresh on everyone's mind considering COVID and you know we are working to help our body with these vaccines we help our body understand the virus and create antibodies to fight the virus. And those are gonna be very specific to COVID, not to other, you know, things just flying around. I think like a thing coming out is like, Oh, the COVID vaccine is going to affect your ability to become pregnant because of the spike protein that's found on the, on the outside of the COVID cells. I don't, don't know all about it, obviously, but you're like your antibodies are making something very very specific and it. it's only going to fit that pathogens kind of like makeup or what it looks like so it's not going to go out and like say oh this kind of looks like this or this you know looks similar so let's like attack it that's not how it works it has to be the exact same like key and lock type deal so first we're going to talk about inflammation And this is going to be defined as the body's nonspecific response to tissue injury, resulting in redness, swelling, warmth, pain, and sometimes loss of function, according to Gold's Pathophysiology for the Health Professionals by Robert J. Hubert and Karen C. Van Meter. Also, obviously in my sources, because this is where I'm getting most of my information from. So anytime you see a diagnosis that ends in itis, it's going to mean that there's inflammation happening, um, So, like pancreatitis, That's the first one that comes to my head, obviously, but that just means like there's inflammation of your pancreas. So, you know, really anything can lead to inflammation and you've probably had inflammation caused by a cut or sprain, chemical exposure, allergic reactions. I mean, right now it's spring outside and everyone's having kind of like allergic reactions, like eyes get puffy, throat swells up, maybe like hard to breathe, cough. Um, but I mean even more severe if you like eat something, ingest something that you're allergic to, your throat swells up, so everything's becoming inflamed. It gets hard to breathe. Um, extreme temperatures, so hot or cold, can cause inflammation, um, splinters, or an infection. Um, the process of inflammation is pretty simple to remember. So, as an injury occurs to the capillaries or the tissues, so say you get a splinter in your hand. Um, obviously there's splinter now in that tissue and bradykinin's are released from the injured cells to activate pain receptors. So now you're feeling pain. As you begin to feel this pain, mast cells and basophils release histamines so that the bradykinin's and histamines cause capillary dilation, which is going to lead to an increase of blood flow and capillary permeability, meaning that like, oh, so all this blood flow is coming to this one spot. And the permeability is going to mean that you're, like, uh, you're going to be able to, like, create a scab and clot and all of those things that need to be released from your capillaries can move out of those to the injured tissues. Those white blood cells, those, um, everything else needed. (laughs) Again, this isn't a very specific introduction, so it is what it is. Um, as bacteria enters the tissue, your neutrophils and monocytes are going to migrate to the site of injury where the neutrophils, phagocytes, bacteria, and the macrophages leave the bloodstream and phagotosis, phagotosis, oh my gosh, you know what, that's not what that says, but that's what I'm saying, uh, microbes, so they absorb them and take them away. So that they can't reproduce in your body so inflammation can be categorized as either acute or chronic acute inflammation is going to involve more swelling and exudate whereas chronic inflammation is going to have a higher presence of lymphocytes macrophages and fibroblasts as chronic inflammation will have more tissue damage Are also chronic inflammation will have more tissue damage when compared to acute inflammation because it's going to be an ongoing process and it's going to lead to a lot of scar tissue. So, if you have a heart attack, this is going to lead to inflammation around the heart, and over time, it's gonna you're like you're gonna have scarring around your heart. And that over time is going to lead to more stress on your heart and possibly lead to another heart attack, which is why you're so much more likely to have a second heart attack after a first one because you have a lot of scar tissue buildup and it's it just means that like your heart's not going to be able to work as well as it used to be able to. So, and I mean like it's going to be the same for really all of your organs also. So, it really sucks. Um so yeah scar tissue is obviously not good um so chronic inflammation like pancreatitis if you are you know if you're drinking a lot and you're putting a lot of stress on your organs because of that over time like you are constantly having inflammation going on in your body because of that stress that you're putting on it, and it's going to lead to your organs just not working as well as they could be so Local effects of inflammation are going to be things that you've likely noticed. You know, you're going to have that redness and that warmth um, caused by the increase of blood flow. You're going to have the swelling and edema as there's a shift in the protein and fluids into the interstitial space. Um, there's pain from the increased pressure of the area on the nerves. You have a loss of function in the cells as they lack nutrients or possibly, like, the swelling is going to interfere. So, I remember... Like one time, I uh, tore two ligaments in my ankle, immediately started swelling up. And then I'll, I go to bed and I wake up in the morning, it is burning hot, I can hardly move it, it hurts so bad, the swelling makes it so that like I absolutely cannot move my ankle at all, so all of those things are going to be you know, effects of the inflammation that's happening because of those torn ligaments. And, I mean, you've probably all experienced something along those lines also. So, exudates will also be common. um, And there's a lot of different kinds. um, And they're going to have different characteristics depending on the cause of the trauma. So, serous exudate, it's going to be watery and mainly fluid. Fibrinous exudate is going to be thick and sticky with a high content of cells and fibrin. And then, purulent exudate going to be thick and yellow green and it's going to indicate infection and it's most commonly going to be known as pus so obviously if you've got something coming out of an like an area or an open wound super not good please go get that checked out really don't want to have that um and then other like systemic effects of inflammation is going to include a mild fever fatigue headache and anorexia and when i say anorexia i just mean a loss of appetite not anorexia nervosa Dating disorder, two very different things. So this is just going to be anorexia, loss of appetite. So a good example of inflammation is going to be burns. Um, This is something that we talked a lot in our pathophysiology class, um, just because there's a lot of different types of burns, and you know you do have increased needs whenever you do have burns. So it's really good to know and to learn. So, like I just said, there are different classifications of burns. A first-degree burn is just a super, superficial burn. It's going to damage the epidermis. Oh, my goodness. And possibly the upper dermis, And it's going to heal without scar tissue. I know, like, right now, I have a sunburn because I was in the sun all day yesterday. That is a first-degree burn. It's not really something to be concerned about, and it's not going to have any lasting effects. So a second degree burn or a partial thickness burn is going to destroy the epidermis and part of the dermis. And it can lead to edema, blisters, and painful skin. These burns will often become infected, which is really not good to hear. But like if you have a blister, it's really best if you don't pop it. And if you do pop it, leave the skin on it that isn't like, it's going to heal that much faster. It's going to be protected. And it's not going to be just like this huge open wound that constantly hurts. And, you know, it has a risk of getting infected. So yeah. Um, and if they do become infected, it's going to lead to additional tissue damage and possible scar tissue formation. So you really do want to take care of those blisters or anything else. And then finally, we have the third degree burn, which is going to affect all of your skin layers. It's going to be called a full thickness burn. The skin is going to become charred, hard, and dry on the surface, um, and the surface skin is going to shrink, which is going to lead to pressure on the tissue beneath it, um, which is going to be very, very painful. Um, sometimes if it gets bad enough, doctors may have to go in and like relieve that pressure by cutting open the skin, which which is kind of like what I just said, you don't really want to have to do that because it's maybe like obviously going to lead to risk of infection, which is the absolute biggest concern when it comes to burn p- victims is risk of infection because there is so much open wounds and I mean, the risk of infection is absolutely huge. Um, so burns may lead to issues such as shock, when there is a massive shift of fluid and electrolytes due to the inflammatory process yeah it's so important to make sure that you are as a dietitian or as someone working in the medical field you want to make sure that someone who is a burn victim is cleaning enough fluids is getting enough electrolytes um and then we also want to make sure as dietitians that we are increasing their protein that we are supplementing zinc, vitamin A and vitamin C because that is going to promote healing. And we really, really want that to be happening as soon as possible. Um so oh a lot of something else I missed earlier is that full thickness burns are going to require skin grafts for healing. Um it's just it you know it's pretty much beyond repair. The body is not going to be able to repair itself after that. And so skin grafts are going to be the best when it comes to healing so then also um another concern when it comes to burns is issues related to the respiratory system because um the possible like, inhalation of toxic fumes you know if that's not checked out if that's not cleared there's a good like that can lead to problems down the road and then Obviously, people are going to have pain when it comes to burns and then infection, like I just talked about, with those open wounds. And then we have hypermetabolic needs during the healing process, which is what I just kind of talked about on the increased protein, zinc, vitamin A, and vitamin C. And then as a side note, when you're calculating the um, like amount of the area affected by burns, you're going to use the rule of nine. And I can post a link in the sources to kind of like a good graphic for that. But it's basically like splitting up the body into obviously nine percents um so that you know like how much like of the body is affected by the burns and that's what i think most medical professionals use when it comes to burns i want to say so like say like the top of my thigh is so if i'm looking at my whole thigh front and back above the knee below the hip it's gonna be 9% so the front is 4.5 and the back is 4.5 and then I think same with the arms maybe I'll post the graph or I'll post a link to the graphic and it'll be pretty helpful Um, but that's really all I have as far as inflammation goes Um, as far as like a nice little introduction to inflammation goes so yeah So, now I'm going to go into covering infection. I honestly, like, don't have a ton on this because, for the most part, it's pretty specific to, like, what you're infected with, and as a dietitian, um, I I don't want to say, like, I don't want to say infection isn't something, like, we cover, but it's not, like... Other people are obviously going to be more focused and I feel like whenever it comes to infection your body's trying to fight it off for our sake the most we are going to be able to do is increase your uh, intake so that your body has enough energy to fight off the infection but maybe I'm wrong and I'll get to that in my um, graduate but from what I can remember that's kind of how that goes but anyway an infection occurs when a microbe or a parasite is able to reproduce in or on the body's tissues so it's gonna be possible by bacteria viruses fungi protozoa and then we also have like chlamydia rickettsiae and mycoplasms which i don't think we ever talked about it was just kind of like a little subgroup that was here in the book so i decided to include it just in case um and then obviously there are other possible agents of disease like algae and stuff but i'm really only like i'm not going to go into depth into any of these so it doesn't really matter um but an important part of infection is knowing modes of transmission for pathogens especially concerning like we are talking about health and safety in the workplace and food service safety so these modes are going to include direct so coming into contact with bodily fluids or outright touching an infectious lesion indirect um eating contaminated foods like someone sneezed on it or touching an in object that's carrying a pathogen so a doorknob is probably the best one or like a faucet, and whenever you have to like wash your hands after going to the bathroom before going back to food service, and you decide to turn off the faucet with your hand that was just sturdy that turned on the faucet instead of using a paper towel to turn it off. Um, that's kind of disgusting. You should really think about that. Um, and then there's droplet transmission where you have salivary secretions or respiratory droplets are inhaled or fall into objects that you come into contact with and then we have aerosol, so like you're breathing out an infectious agent or coughing them out. And then we have vector borne, and this is going to be whenever a pathogen is carried by an insect or animal. Um, This could be like malaria carried by mosquitoes, or this could be salmonella carried by eggs and chicken. So I feel like that one's pretty well talked about in food service, but. Yes, whenever you go into your food service classes and whenever you need to take your service safe exam or anything that has to do with like your food service classes, you need to know the modes of transmission for pathogens because it's going to be asked. It's going to be talked about and it's very, very important when it comes to safety and proper handling of food, Um, especially like vector-borne like I just talked about. That's why we cook chicken to 165 or higher because if not, it could still have salmonella on it. So, you're going to need to know stuff like that. Um, other than that, when it comes to infection, I'm really only just going to cover the physiology of infection because, like I said, everything else is pretty specific to the infectious agent. Um, obviously, you're going to have different signs and symptoms. I mean, besides, like, fatigue, everything else is going to be, like, pretty specific. Um... You know, it's not, there's not really much else to cover. So, going into the physiology, um, obviously, pathogen enters the host. Doesn't matter how it happens. Ingestion, breathing it in, you touch something, you have an open wound. I don't know. Cover your open wounds, though. If you're working in food service or whatever, I don't care. Cough into your arm. Wear a band-aid. Don't. Touch your eyes and your nose and your face and then touch other things. Like, why would you do that? It's absolutely disgusting. Wash your hands all the time. I've worked in food service for the last, like, three and a half years. It's not that hard to do. Yes, my hands are dry. Yes, they are cracked. But it's okay. It's okay. So, an infection is only going to occur if the host defenses are unable to prevent the reproduction of the pathogen in the body so like yeah you could have the pathogen in your your body or breathe it in but like as long as your body's healthy and has the means to fight it off you're gonna be fine but like if your body doesn't recognize what it is or is not strong enough to fight it off yeah that's a different story So next, the pathogen will colonize in the appropriate site where it is in the incubation period and it's reproducing without much harm to the body. Like, you're not noticing it, it's not, it hasn't reproduced enough for you to, like, really have any signs or symptoms or anything. So next, in the prodromal period, this is whenever you're going to have some minor side effects, um... Or like signs of infection you're gonna have fatigue loss of appetite or headaches you know it's not anything major but you can definitely tell like you're not you know up, up to par. you can tell like you're coming down with something um and then next you have the acute period and this is whenever your infection is going to be in full swing and your clinical signs are at its peak um and then here like whenever So if you in your head picture kind of like a graph and up to this point, like we've been going up. So now we're going to have a branch. Like You're going to branch off. And at one point, it's going to keep going up. And if you keep going up, this means that the infection is still multiplying and you're still reproducing in your body and you are going to die from infection. (laughs) On the other hand, you can see that the graph is going to start going down, so this means the number of organisms in your body is slowly going down, and your body has been healthy enough to produce antibodies and fight against the infection, slowly winning. So here again, you're going to see a decrease reproduction of the pathogen. Um, you know, following this, um, there's the recovery period where the signs and symptoms are subsiding. You can tell that you're getting better. Like maybe you're not up to 100%, but you're definitely not like feeling horrible. And then finally you have another branch and I mean it's still going to be down on this, you know. And then this is where you fully recovered or this kind of like plateau towards the bottom and you have a chronic infection leading to mild yet destructive signs. So obviously not what we want. Um I don't really have much to say about chronic infections. I don't know a ton when it comes to infectious agents but that is really all i have to cover about infection um obviously if someone had like more specific questions i could definitely like, do research and answer those um but that's all i have as far as like really infections go okay so the last thing we're talking about is going to be immunity um as far as dietetics goes in immunity i really don't have a lot to say Um, but it is still something that is very important to know whenever you're in the medical field. So we're just gonna get in and get started. I also do not have notes for this section, so you're really just gonna have to bear with me. There are little pauses and everything. Um, it's just me trying to collect my thoughts. So first we're gonna cover the components of the immune system and this is gonna be, You know, the lymphoid structures, immune cells, tissues concerned with the immune cell development, and then chemical mediators. So the lymphoid structures are gonna include the lymph nodes, the spleen tonsils, intestinal lymphoid tissue, and the lymphatic circulation, and then the immune cells are gonna be your lymphocytes as well as macrophages. The tissues involved in immune cell production and development include the bone marrow and the thymus. So all of your immune cells are gonna are gonna be originating in the bone marrow and then they're either going to mature in the bone marrow or the thymus. So, if, depending on where they mature is going to determine what their function is, and I'll get more into that in a second. So, um, you really want to make sure and this isn't something that I don't think I talked about whenever we talked about the fetal development, but your thymus is going to develop whenever you're a fetus. So, it's really important to take care. I mean, I I don't really know how, like, if nutrient is related to the development. I know we talked about the thyroid, but I don't know about the thymus. So, but during fetal development, um, you're going to be programming your immune system to ignore self-antigens. So, If that doesn't happen, you can end up with an autoimmune disease where your body is going to be attacking itself. Examples of autoimmune diseases are going to be lupus and um, rheumatoid arthritis. And then chemical mediators such as histamines and interleukins are going to play major roles as well. So elements of the immune system are going to include antigens, which we just kind of mentioned, um, these are going to be either foreign substances such as pathogens or human cell surface molecules that are unique to each individual, unless you are twins. If you're twins, sorry, that's not how it works. So, it's going to be composed of complex proteins or polysaccharides and then, so you're going to have like specific antibodies that are going to attack these specific antigens. Um, and they're going to be produced by the ble- B lymphocytes. Um, antigens, representing self, are present on an individual's plasma membranes. And it's kind of like, okay, so you know whenever you have a blood transfusion and you have to make sure that that other person has the same blood as you, otherwise you it doesn't work, that's because of antigens. So if I, like, I am O positive, And I can give my blood to anyone that is also positive because I do not have self-presenting antigens on my blood cells. So that, like, if I give my blood to someone else, their bodies aren't going to attack it because there aren't antigens on the outside. But if someone were to give their blood to me, so if someone was A-positive, And they tried to give their blood to me, my body would attack it because their uh, blood cells are going to have antigens presenting. They're going to have the A antigens presenting on the outside and my body is going to attack it because it's a foreign substance. Um, The same thing goes for positive and negative. So I could receive blood from someone who is O negative because they do not have like the, I don't, it has a specific name, but as far as like the positive and negative go, they don't have anything presenting. So my body wouldn't recognize it as a foreign substance because it doesn't have any antigens, but I could not give my blood O positive to someone who's O negative because I have the positive presenting part. So their body would see it as a foreign substance and they would attack it. So, yeah, that's why you can't receive blood from someone who's not the same type. Unless, like, O is the universal donor, and then AB is the universal recipient. Because AB could receive anything, obviously. They could receive A, they could receive B, they could receive AB, and they can receive O. So, yeah. Um, And it's also the same uh, whenever it comes to organ transplants, but it's... Going to be a lot more complicated because they have more antigens presenting than just the blood type. So, then we're going to have the cells are going to be also like elements of the immune system. Um, A macrophage is critical in the initiation of the immune response, they develop from monocytes and part of the mononuclear. Phagocytic system, it used to be known as something else, which I'm glad it's not that because I don't even think I could read that. Um, they're going to occur throughout the body and tissues such as the liver, lungs, and lymph nodes, and they're going to be large phagocytic cells that intercept and engulf foreign material and then process and display the mm-hmm. intergen from the foreign material on their cell membranes. The lymphocytes respond to this display, initiating the immune response. So, basically it's saying, okay, you have a foreign substance in your body, and either your body has one of two things. Either it recognizes this pathogen, or it does not. But, it's going to read that off of the, um, oh my gosh, if I could remember, macrophage. So, this thing is not specific, it just envelops things that are... Random. Don't belong there. Gonna take it in. It's gonna present that antigen on the outside. Then your body is gonna read it. And this is gonna start the specific immune response. So, which we'll we'll get into in just a second. Um, The primary cell in the immune response is gonna be the lymphocyte and one of the leukocytes or white blood cells produced by the bone marrow. Mature lymphocytes are termed immunocompetent cells, and these are cells that have a specific function in recognizing and reacting with antigens of the body. So this is where we get into the specific immune response. So there's going to be two groups of lymphocytes, and it's going to be your B lymphocytes and your T lymphocytes, and this is going to determine which type of immunity will be initiated. Um, It's either going to be cell-mediated immunity or humoral immunity. So T lymphocytes or T cells are going to, you know, like I said before, all of your lymphocytes are going to come, or yeah, lymphocytes are going to come from the bone marrow. That's where they're made. But T cells are going to mature in the thymus and then they're going to migrate to the lymph nodes. From here, okay, so you have a formed substance and it's presenting and so yes cool then you're gonna have your t-cells and they are gonna be used to either help or they're gonna be memory t-cells and this is gonna where be where like your body is either gonna recognize it or it's not so they would be like oh we've seen this before we know how to make this we need to get to it we need to be making specific you know, cells that are going to be made to attack this. Sorry, I'm just struggling with my words right now. So I'm going to read this passage just so this makes a little bit more sense. So T cells are going to stem from stem cells, which are incompletely differentiated cells held in reserves in the bone marrow and then travel to the thymus for further differentiation and development. Um, the cell mediate. Aided immunity develops when T lymphocytes with protein receptors on the cell surface recognize antigens on the surface of target cells and directly destroy the invading antigens. These specially programmed T cells then reproduce, creating an army to battle the invader, and they also activate other T and B lymphocytes. T cells are primarily effective against virus-infected cells, fungal, and protozoal infections, cancer cells, and foreign cells, such as transplants. Um, There's a number of subgroups of T-cells marked by different surface receptor molecules, each of which has a specialized function. So, I think there's like four they have listed here. And helper T-cells are required, I'm pretty sure, for B-cells. And then you have your memory cells, which I just talked about. They're going to be the ones that memorize something that is going to keep it kind of like in your your body so that they know next time how to quickly have a response instead of like taking time to build up an army. They can quickly make it. And next thing you know, like you're not having those major symptoms of an infection like you may have had otherwise. So the cytotoxic. T killer cells destroy the target cell by binding to the antigen and releasing damaging enzymes or chemicals, uh, which may destroy foreign cell membranes or cause an inflammation response, attracting macrophages to the site. And then obviously those are going to absorb them and kill it. And then the phagocytic cells then clean up the debris. And the helper T cells facilitate the immune response. And then the memory T-cells remain in the lymph nodes for years. So you could recognize a disease for years after you've had it once, which is really awesome. And then, yeah. So then moving on to like the B-cells, this is obviously the ones that are going to mature in the bone marrow instead of the thymus. And then they migrate to the lymphocytes. So... These are going to be responsible for humoral immunity through the production of antibodies or immunoglobulins. So B cells are thought to mature in the bone marrow and then proceed to the spleen and lymphoid tissue. After exposure to antigens and with assistance of the T lymphocytes, they become antibody-producing plasma cells. Uh, B lymphocytes act primarily against bacteria and viruses that are outside body cells. B memory cells that provide... For repeated production of antibodies also form in humoral humoral immune responses. So, yeah. I mean, they basically have the same general job. I think your T-cells might do a little bit more, but when it comes to bacterial infections, your B-cells are going to be what is important there. Um... So yeah, um, I guess I'll mention antibodies. So antibodies are a specific class of proteins termed immunoglobulins and are present present in different body fluids. Um, each is going to have a unique se- sequence of amino acids attached to a common base and antibodies bind to the specific matching antigen and destroy it. So just like a lock and key, you have to have a very, very specific key to unlock a lock. So you have to have a very specific antibody to kill an antigen. Um, Generally, they're just going to be in circulation around the body um, as well as in the lymphoid structures. And then there are going to be specific classes of immunoglobulins, um, which I will cover really fast because I do remember that we did cover this in class. So you have immunoglobulin G. Um, It's really going to be found in the blood and produced in both primary and secondary immune responses. It's going to include antibacterial, antiviral, and antitoxin antibodies. It crosses placenta and creates passive immunity in newborns, which is so, so important. We love passive immunity. So immunoglobulin M is going to be bound to B lymphocytes in circulation and is usually the first to increase in the immune response. Um, It forms natural antibodies and is involved in the blood ABO-type incompatibility reaction that I mentioned a little bit earlier. Immunoglobulin A, it's going to be found in secretions such as tears and saliva, in mucous membranes, and colostrum, which, if you don't remember, is what is produced in the breast tissue for breast milk, um, to provide protection to newborn children, which is another reason why breastfeeding is very important. Immunoglobulin E uh, binds to mast cells in skin and mucous membranes. uh, When linked to allergen, causes release of histamines and other chemicals resulting in in inflammation. So if you want to blame anything, you can blame blame immunoglobulin E for your allergic reactions to all the pollen in the air right now. And then immunoglobulin D... It is attached to B cells and activates B cells. So, you know, you can listen to that as many times as you need to. It's really pretty basic. It's not like it's telling you how it works, but just, it's just there if you need it. Um, so, uh, there's different, like, there's a process of acquiring immunity. So, Natural immunity is species-specific, so humans are not usually susceptible to infections common to many other animals, and then you have innate immunity is gene-specific and is related to ethnicity, Um, so just like the increased susceptibility of North American Aboriginal people to tuberculosis. So we have two steps when it comes to the immune response. The primary response occurs when a person is first exposed to an antigen. Um, During this exposure to the antigen, antigen, oh my goodness, antigen. Um, It's recognized and processed and subsequently development of antibodies or sensitized T lymphocytes is initiated. Um, This is going to take a few weeks. And yeah, so then... Your body, so you're exposed to this and your body is not going to have a huge immune response. It's um, so like you, I guess I could say, like you catch the flu. And so you're still going to have the signs and symptoms like your body isn't going to have this huge army to fight it off. And it's going to take longer for your body to fight it off because it doesn't, it doesn't recognize what's happening. It doesn't understand. It doesn't know this infectious agent. But in the secondary response, you have a repeat exposure to the same antigen and this response is much more rapid and results in higher antibody levels than the primary response. This is because of the memory cells. So, you know, you're exposed to the flu a second time. If it's the same strain, your body is going to recognize that and you're going to be able to like have an immune response almost immediately. You're going to know what's happening. Your body is going to be prepared to attack that and you're likely not going to have those awful symptoms you're not going to feel horrible like yeah you might still have like a little bit of body aches or you might not feel great you might have those like oh I'm coming down with something but you're not going to reach that peak oh I feel like absolute crap right now so and that's exactly what we want and I mean that's what the COVID vaccine does I mean not to like be pushy but I'm saying like that's what this COVID vaccine does it's gonna Make sure that your body's able to recognize it and mount a response sooner. So, and that I mean, that's what vaccines do. It's not. It's not going to stop you from catching it. The flu vaccine doesn't stop you from catching it, but it helps you in the long run because you're you're not going to die from it. Your body's going to say, "Oh, I know what this is. I know how to stop it. I know what to start making so that this doesn't spread." And bam, you know. You're, you're not suffering. You're able to quickly overcome it and stay relatively healthy. So yeah, that's um, how you come about from acquiring immunity. Um, so I know I kind of talked about like tissue and organ transplant rejection. Um, you know, your body isn't recognizing what's happening. And then know you have allergic reactions which kind of talked about that um there are different types of hypersensitivities so like you have type 1 hay fever you have anaphylaxis um your immunoglobulin e is going to be bound to mast cells and release histamines and chemical mediators causing inflammation i mean that's and allergic reaction. It's kind of just what happens whenever there's like pollen in there and everything. Um, so, then a type two is going to be the ABO blood incompatibility, um, where immunoglobulin G or M reacts with antigens on the cell complement, with antigen on cell complement activated. So, you're going to have cell lysis and phagocytosis. It's going to kill those cells, you're going to have a rejected blood transplant and then you're gonna have like a bunch of like you're gonna have clotting and it's really not good um it's really really bad to have blood clotting inside of your veins so then we have a type 3 you have an autoimmune disorder so it could be systematic lupus or glomerulone- Oh my gosh, glomerulonephritis. <laughs> wow that was so bad um which has to do with your kidneys So, an antigen-antibody complex deposits in tissue complement activated. Basically, meaning there's inflammation and vasculitis, which is inflammation of your um, vascular system, veins, arteries. Yes. Um, And then you have a type 4. Hypersensitivity, which is going to be contact dermatitis or transplant rejection. Obviously, super awful. You have antigens bind to T lymphocytes, sensitized lymphocyte release of lymphokines. And then there's going to be delayed inflammation. So you may think it's going well and you may think it was a successful transplant, and then bam, it's not. And it can end up being very critical. So yeah i i'm gonna go through just give me a really quick second um to make sure i'm not like missing anything crazy but i mean i did cover autoimmune disorders so there's not a whole lot that i can personally talk about as far as those go i know like my grandmother had lupus and unfortunately passed away from it um I know, like, it was really... She also had rheumatoid arthritis. um, And it was very hard on her body. So, like, autoimmune diseases are very serious conditions. Um, I know, like, one of my friends, she has lupus. And, I mean, she's my age. But, I mean, you can live with them, obviously. And you just kind of have to recognize when it's, like, when an episode is coming on. And, like, how to take care of yourself and what you need in those moments. Um there's not really much else that I personally have to talk about on this topic um I know that there is a lot of other information I have to do like more specific diseases um but nothing I have so that's all I really have for this episode um I hope you all have a great day